I was an orphan. I was an orphan. I was an orphan. I didn't know my father. I was alone. Helpless. Helpless. I had no family. I didn't belong to anyone. To anyone. To anyone. I was an orphan. No one saw me. No one knew me. I was invisible. I was lost. I was lost. No one claimed me. No one said, he's mine. She's mine. I was an orphan. I was an orphan. I was hungry. Like all the food in the world couldn't fill me up. I was vulnerable. Unprotected, at risk, cold, tired. 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 I thought I didn't matter. I thought no one cared. No one cared. I was an orphan. I was an orphan. I was an orphan. But I was found. But I was found. I was found. Someone stepped in. Someone saw me. I was sought. Pursued. Wanted. Known. I was an orphan. But now I belong. Now I belong. Now I belong. I'm embraced. A sister. A brother. I know my father. I know my father. I know my father. I was an orphan, but I am loved. At great cost, I am restored. I am restored. And for the first time, I know that I am valued, prized. Forever. 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 I was an orphan. I was an orphan. I was an orphan. We're all orphans. So I care for orphans. So I care for orphans. I was an orphan. So I care for orphans. Good morning, church. Um, a bit impromptu, but I'd like to ask you to please stand once more uh, as we open up God's Word and read from His Holy Scriptures. If you would like to read from a pew Bible, we're going to be on page 1011. We're going to be reading from the book of James in the New Testament. Our Pew Bible, page 1011, James chapter 1, verse 27. James chapter 1, verse 27 reads, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You may be seated. Good morning, church and friends and guests. Uh, my name is Will Cook. I am the student pastor here at Perimeter Road Baptist Church. Uh, for those of you who are familiar with me, uh, you may have noticed that I'm participating in No Shave November. Um, while lots of uh, men participate in No Shave November for a worthy cause, I'm actually doing it to help set myself apart from the middle schoolers in our youth group. Our worship leader, Clint, he feels my pain. You're there. Hashtag boys to men. <clears throat> That's my attempt at humor. This morning we're going to take the first step in a four-part series uh, concerning biblical adoption. As you may have pieced together already from uh, the theme of our worship uh, through music, as well as the video that we just watched, much of our conversation will be focused on how the Christian 
is called to care for the orphan. November is actually a little bit more important to my heart than No Shave November. November is our nation's National Adoption Month. As a staff, we can think of nothing more fitting than to turn our hearts towards God's Word as we seek to understand His heart for the fatherless. I want to make available to you some resources that you can use after our service this morning and after we finish our four-part series. So I've put together kind of my top three resources for you to look look for um, online or maybe in your local library, or you can do a Google search, find it on Amazon, whatever. But but here are my top three sources. Number one would would be uh, the Christian Alliance for Orphans. They have loads and loads of information available on their website, christianalliancefororphans.org. It's very um, gospel-centric. It's very driven from from the heart of Father God as it equips uh, God's people to care for the orphan. Second, I would recommend um, perhaps the best uh, published work, uh, Orphanology, Awakening to the Gospel-Centered Adoption and Orphan Care by Tony uh, Merida and Rick Morton. Um, This is a great book. I would highly recommend it. Spend the 10 or $15 it takes to put it on your bookshelf and make it real to your hearts. Read it, study it, apply it. Let it penetrate your soul. And then finally, one thing that we talked about in our staff meeting this week was um, a paper that I did while in seminary called A Biblical Perspective on Adoption. Uh, I studied this my last year in seminary. Uh, This is a, a, a big focus of my heart, my wife's heart, as even when we were dating, uh, the conversation of adoption uh, began to take root in our hearts. And um, Claire has, has studied adoption. She has gone to conferences. She has um, just really poured herself out for the orphan in, in ways that only a mom can. Um, and so kind of being led by my wife, as often the Holy Spirit allows me to do, kind of take her lead on that, um, I, I begin to research it myself and, and just become brokenhearted the case of the orphan, and so my final year in seminary, we're required to put together um, pretty lengthy papers, and, and this is what I chose to, to write our paper on, to write my paper on, um, and so I'm going to make that available on our church website. If you want uh, to email me or me- message me on Facebook or whatever, I'll be more than happy to put that paper in your hands. It is by no means exhaustive. It is by no means completely comprehensive, uh, but it is a good study, and it gives you a couple of pages of references Uh, pointing you in the direction where you can even learn more. Guys, it's important now that I say before going on um, that this is a particularly difficult area of theology for me to put in the form of a a sermon. Um, the, The concept of biblical adoption, the concept of caring for the orphan, as I've said before and I'll repeat again, is near and dear to my heart. Last night, as, as I was rehearsing everything and going through my notes and, and looking over my, my exegetical and looking over uh, my sermon outline, I just, I just stopped and I was just convicted and I was just torn up. And, you know, uh, Claire was caring for um, our infant Layla and, and I just said, sweetheart, let's just stop and let's just pray, right? I was just overwhelmed w- with a sense of, desiring to comfort the orphan while simultaneously feeling such a strong sense of helplessness in and of my own power. And we just cried and we prayed. 
And we prayed for our church. We prayed for you guys. We prayed for our own hearts. And we just pled with the Holy Spirit that He would awaken deep in our souls a passion to help the fatherless. This morning, it may seem as though I'm, I'm pointing fingers. And it may seem as though I'm, I'm trying to uh, place guilt trips. I promise that is not the case. I have no desire to make you feel guilty about what you are or are not doing for the fatherless. I have no desire to make you feel guilty about how involved you are or are not with our local church. Hear me when I say my desire and my passion this morning is to plead the case of the fatherless, the voiceless, literally millions of boys and girls across our world who if they could stand here before you, I'm convinced they would tell you their situation is one that merits the Christian taking action and opening not only their home, but more importantly, their heart. I take great responsibility with being the voice of those children this morning. If you have concerns about comments that I make or you know, you're, you feel like I'm, I'm way out of line, come talk to me. You know, I've been preaching for a number of years, and I've heard lots of criticism, and, and some of it's very, very uh, good criticism, and, and I've learned to cope with it, you know, almost as good as Pastor Brian has learned uh, to cope with criticism. Um, I say that jokingly, of course, but hear my heart when I say, this morning, I'm not concerned so much with stepping on your toes as I am with shining the spotlight on the orphan. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we can call you Abba Father. Thank you for calling us to be your sons and daughters and not only inviting us into your kingdom, but Father, inviting us into your family. Thank you for our dear, holy brother, Jesus Christ, who laid down his life on the cross in an agonizing way so that we could be purchased through a covenant and made it a part of the kingdom of God. You offer to us everything you have and you always will satisfy a deep longing in our spirits, a longing where we just want to belong and be cherished. May we as a church, may we as a people, as sons and daughters of God, be motivated by your word, be motivated by your spirit to leverage our lives for the sake of the orphan, just as you have leveraged your life for us. Together we pray. Amen. Y'all, this morning as we take an in-depth look at the concept of biblical, the, uh, biblical theology and uh, biblical adoption, I will seek to explore the orphan crisis, the Christian call, and the cure of the cross. Let's start by expounding on the crisis. Very quickly, it is estimated that there are more than 150 million orphans in our world. To put that in perspective for you, that number represents essentially half of the population of the United States. Some estimates from UNICEF or the Christian Alliance for Orphans even surpassed the 200 million mark, claiming that there are upwards of 200 million orphans on our planet right now. However, 
listen to me when I say one of the greatest weaknesses in this global orphan uh, estimates is that they include only orphans that are currently living in homes. They do not count the estimated two to eight plus million children living in institutions. Nor do current estimates include the vast number of children who are living on the streets, exploited for labor, victims of trafficking, or participated in armed groups. Thus, global orphan statistics significantly underestimate the number of orphans worldwide and fail to account for many children that are among the most vulnerable and most in need of a family. It's staggering. In all, it is virtually impossible to know exactly how many children in our world are living parentless. The problem of abandoned children is nothing new. Children have been left alone without protection, without sustenance, and without love for thousands of years in nearly every culture. The problem has stemmed from diverse issues like children being born with deformities, parents feeling as though they're unable to meet their child's needs, governments enforcing strict regulations on the number of children a couple can bear, and now there exists a plethora of dilemmas that have resulted due to the vast number of orphans in our world. We have a lot of spin-off issues, a lot of ripple effects that are coming from the orphan crisis. And there's no one reason why our orphans are continuing to grow in population. There are a diverse number of reasons. We studied uh, during seminary, Claire and I looked at uh, the one-child law that takes place in China and how that results in a lot of uh, aborted babies and it also results in a lot of uh, Chinese uh, girls being born and, and being dropped off at the front door of an orphanage and left to fend for herself in hopes that they will find her. Uh, I know we, are, we have a missionary overseas right now representing Perimeter Road uh, Baptist Church, uh, Brother Denny Crosby, and, and he talks about uh, the mother's milk program uh, where a mom is, is forced to pay back a, a certain amount of money to her government, and so she puts her daughter on the streets and, and, and tells her daughter, you need to go sell yourself for sex and then give me the money so I can pay back the government. In my mind, I think of that that young uh, girl as orphaned. We, we think about North Korea and, and, and just the insane government uh, that they live in and, and, and just the, 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 the tyranny and the rule that is unjust. And I think about uh, the families who, who are encamped and, and who are literally enslaved and the children who never see their mom or dad. And it, Y'all, this is the tip of the iceberg. It is truly staggering. There's also the growing problem of providing orphans enough clean water, enough uh, healthy food to keep them physically healthy, uh, especially in our less developed areas of the world. The HIV and AIDS epidemic is sweeping through much of Africa and taking parents away from little boys and girls as we speak. And while it may seem to some as though the U.S. has no orphan crisis, which is truly not the case, it should shake our souls to recognize that our foster care system is currently responsible for more than 400,000 children. Claire and I attended a six-week study at Watermark Church in Dallas, Texas, when we lived there. And we had the opportunity once a week to sit and listen to foster parents and adoptive parents. And uh, we were able to sit with uh, a panel of people who were by no means experts in regards to the orphan, but they had lots of wisdom and life experiences to share. And one statistic that I remember from that uh, session was that there are enough churches, there are enough Protestant Christian churches in America that if every church had one family to adopt a child, to foster a child, there would be no need for a government 
foster care system in the U.S. That convicts me. The problem with this number, this 200 plus million number, is that it's just a number. This number does not always hit our hearts. I can say, for example, that every 33 seconds someone in the U.S. dies from cardiovascular disease. I can say that in the next 20 years it is expected that uh, cardiovascular disease will be the number one cause of death, not only in America, but on our planet. Nonetheless, if we have an option to eat fried chicken after church today, we might go eat some fried chicken. Until that number hits home with us, until it digs in deep, takes root in our heart, it's not always real. The reality is that there are some 200 million boys and girls across the globe who will go to sleep tonight without a home, without a hug, without any perceivable hope. There are some 200 million children who have no idea that they are cherished. Their world consists of feeling unwanted, feeling in the way, feeling as though nobody cares whether or not they live or die. To put this in perspective, I personally am deeply convicted about the fact that across our country, there are countless household pets who receive better treatment than millions of children. My own dog, Murray, I have a red lab, and I think I've used her as an example in every sermon illustration I've preached since I've been on staff here. We have an almost three-year-old red lab named Murray, and uh, she's quite a handful. <clears throat> but Murray receives daily food. She receives shelter. She receives medical treatment and affection within our family. <clears throat> we plan our fam- family vacations with Murray in, my, in mind. Can we, can we take Murray with us? Uh, do we need to find a dog sitter? Uh, what do we do? Murray is a part of our family. She's important to us. Um, our dog is more than a pet. And even though she's been the recipient of a lot of corporal punishment at my own hand, after all, a father disciplines those he loves, she knows that she belongs in our family. I even have legal documents. I have her registration papers that prove she is a part of the Cook clan. Meanwhile, there are literally millions of children, children bearing the Imago Dei, that is the image of God, who may never feel the same sense of belonging that my dog feels. Y'all, I believe deep in my soul that this is wrong. I point the finger at myself. I am wrong for exalting an animal above the status of a human being, exalting an animal above a child. Let me be clear. God has not called me in his divinely inspired inspired word to budget for a goldfish, to budget for a cat, or to budget for a dog. He has, however, commanded me to love the fatherless. In the book Orphanology, Merida and Morton say this, 
Frankly, the world's orphan problem is too vast for us to be wasteful of the precious resources that God gives us to meet it. The good news is that God hears the cry of the abandoned. He knows the deepest need felt by the orphan and refuses to sit idly by while these little ones remain unnoticed or worse, unwanted. We have been invited to join with God in loving the orphan. And here comes the call. Here comes the Christian's responsibility, the mandate given by God Almighty, the creator of the universe, who breathes life into our lungs. He has put forth a great command for all believers, and this is it. God's word makes very clear that his people have a responsibility, a mandate, a true call in every sense of the word to care for the orphan. Hang with me as we explore from New Testament, Old Testament, a plethora of passages. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 18 says this, he executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. This is an implied command as we see the character of Father God on display in the Old Testament. He's instructing the people what to do by how he cares for people. We see Isaiah chapter 1 verse 17. This is not an implied command. This is very, very imperative. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. There's no mincing words there. I could get into a debate and I can say, well, what does it mean in the Hebrew text for us to uh, defend the fatherless? What does it mean for us to uh, look at who the fatherless are? How are they represented? What's their demographic? What nationality are they from? Guys, listen. In the Hebrew, what it means to bring justice to the fatherless is bring justice to the fatherless. God does not mince words when he directs his people to care for orphans. James chapter 1 verse 27, this is the passage that we all stood and read together as a united body under the banner of Christ. James tells us, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, man, just pause right there, the Father, Father God, I was listening to a sermon, and the pastor continued to preach about how uh, Christ, in a society that was not known for its Aramaic language, in a society that was known for its Greek, and in a society that was known for its Hebrew, takes time in the midst of perhaps the most tumultuous uh, moment in his life as he's praying before the cross. He knows that when the sun dawns the next day, he will be in chains. He will have the cat of nine tails whip across his back. He will be burdened with carrying a heavy cross up Golgotha, and he will be crucified where his blood is going to be spilt. He, he commands his disciples, look, stand here and watch and, and pray with me. And he goes off by himself to have some moments alone with his father. And then in his native tongue, Aramaic, he says, Abba. Abba, Father, be with me. Father, you know what lies before me. Be more, get this, y'all. And I do not mean any heresy in this comment. But it's almost as if Christ is pleading and he's saying, I don't need a God right now, I need a daddy. And fortunately for us, we see both of these roles supremely fulfilled by God the Father. Jesus points the spotlight to our heart's desire to have Abba Father. James chapter 1, verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. 
Are we so comfortable in our relationship with God the Father? Are we so complacent? Are we so lazy that we haven't been burdened for the fatherless? It happens a lot in our pursuit of the American dream. And again, y'all, I'm not casting blame because I lump myself into this sermon, which is why perhaps it is so difficult for me to stand before you and preach these words. Throughout any given day, I find myself consumed with my savings account, consumed with my medical bills, consumed with, again, my dog Murray, consumed with saving college money for my biological children, consumed with a retirement fund. God is consumed with bringing people into his family. Are we? One aspect of how God's people are to respond to the orphan crisis is to love these dear children, our neighbors, as we love ourselves. Consider Psalm chapter 82, verse 3. The psalmist explains that orphans are to be defended by God's people, where he states, give justice to the weak and the fatherless, maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. In fact, Our Savior Christ, Jesus himself, tells his followers that there are two great commandments from God the Father. Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 37, Christ says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And yes, absolutely, this is foremost. It has to be paramount in our hearts that we put God above all else, that he is central to everything that we do, that he consumes our being. However, when we get our relationship with God right, as Matt Chandler has stated so many times, when we get our relationship with God right, then and only then do we begin to get our relationship with people right. We can't have good relationships with people around us if we don't have a relationship with God. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. Because I do not want to pose a rhetorical question, but I do want to use it as an illustration, I'll take a risk and just ask rhetorically, how many of you want to be orphaned. If Christ, our Savior, tells us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, how dare we leave them fatherless? From these verses, we can see that God's commands are in line with God's view of justice. It is altogether unjust for the fatherless to be left unattended. J.D. Greer states that we are to leverage our lives, and you'll hear this in a little bit, for the good sake of the gospel and for the betterment of the mistreated. Don't miss this vital point. These commands are not just for super-Christians. God puts no caveats on these passages. They are given to all of God's people. So I say it this way, biblical orphan care It's not just for married couples or homeowners or the financially sound or people who have fertility issues or 
fill in the blank. You get the idea. Biblical orphan care is commanded to every person who claims Christ as their Savior. And so you're probably asking right now, if that is the case, if that is true, then what can I do? I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked what you can do. Uh, Here are just a few practical possibilities for normal people to consider in helping orphans, adoptive families, and foster families. Number one, adopt and foster. As a Christian, you may not be commanded by God. You may not be instructed by the Holy Spirit to embark on a journey of adoption. You may not be called uh, or commanded to embark uh, on the journey of being a foster parent. But listen, you're called to care for the orphan. So you need to be praying, God, is this something that you want me to do? Is this something that you are asking me to lay down my life, to bring someone else into my family? Pray that. Please. You're a Christian. You have been, and we're going to get there. We're going to get to the cross. We're going to explore all of these different things. But you have been called. You have been set apart as a son or a daughter of the Most High. In light of your relationship to God, adoption needs to be part of your prayer life. Be a sponsor. And I mean, put your money where your mouth is. And here's what I'm saying. Uh, Visit Compassion International. Claire and I know that right now, we can't adopt. Right now. We're praying, God, tell us when. We're ready. Okay? But right now, what we do is, is we allow Compassion International to put our money to use. And so we sponsor a child in Africa. And this kid lives in uh, in a high AIDS-infected area of his country, and he doesn't have food, and he doesn't have education, and and we get pictures on a regular basis. And man, we're just praying, God, help this kid smile. Seriously, that that is a prayer. God, help John smile. We want want to see him filled with joy. Man, if we could get there, we would put so many hugs around this kid's neck Uh, I I would tickle fight him uh, until, maybe he doesn't have any teeth. I don't know, but I would tickle fight until I found out, you know? Um, We love this kid and we've never met him. We've seen his chicken scratch on paper. And he always asks, how is your family? How is your son? How is your daughter? May God bless you. I'm I'm thinking, we, we don't need... We need to be praying for you, John. But here's this orphan boy that I'm convinced pours his heart into a prayer for these these white American people that he's never met. And my heart bursts. So give your money to Compassion International, please. Give it to uh, World Orphans. Give it to UNICEF. Uh, Visit your, your local crisis pregnancy center. Support them. There are so many ways you can put your dollars to work for the orphan. Cast your ballot to meet the needs of the orphan. We just participated in elections. Uh, Find people who are pro-life. Vote for them. Vote for their policies to put an end to abortion. Because in your heart for the orphan, even if parents feel as though they are unfit or unable to raise that child, you believe in your heart that God still cherishes them and that He will make a family aware of that child's need. Uh, Take take a trip. uh, Visit the Crisis Pregnancy Center. uh, Go overseas and visit an orphanage. Um, 
meet firsthand the people in need and see what God does in your heart. Uh, make a meal and, and, and give it to foster parents. Give it to adoptive parents. Give it to their families. If there's one thing I've learned about uh, being a dad, um, we still like to eat good food even when the money runs out. Uh, deliver a, a care package. Who doesn't love surprises? Everyone loves surprises, especially ones that come in the mail and that are personalized. Um, put your lawnmower, your vacuum, or your washing machine to use. Help out some of these adoptive and foster parents. Uh, get qualified and certified. Uh, did you know if, if you're a foster parent uh, that you can't just leave your kids with anybody to go have a date night? You, you have to leave them with a certified, uh, I believe the word is respite caregiver, uh, someone who has gone through the training uh, to watch after your kids because they belong uh, not to those foster parents at the time, but to the state. So get certified so that you can go and give them a night, a, a night away and offer some child care. Uh, set up a college fund. Talk about money. How many adoptive parents are worried that after spending thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 to bring a child into the States that they're not going to have money to send them to college? Uh, use Facebook in a noble, uh, righteous way. Start, start uh, advocating using social media on the behalf of the orphan. Uh, buy diapers. I mean, how simple does it get? Babies go through diapers. <laughs> buy diapers. Uh, there are so many ways that you can fight for the orphan. Find a way and start fighting. If you're considering adoption, if you're considering foster care, maybe you're intimidated by the cost, the finances. That's fine. It's okay to be intimidated by the cost of, of bringing another human into your family. But you know what? I'm, I'm intimidated by a lot of things too. Uh, I'm intimidated by, again, the cost of college, the cost of retirement. Uh, but that doesn't stop me from making sacrifices. You know? Host a yard sale. These are things, I'm going to give you some ideas of things that we've actually seen people put into practice so that they could raise money and bring a child into their family. Host a yard sale and request for your friends and family uh, to donate uh, goods so that you can sell them uh, off your curb or out of your driveway. Uh, set up a wood shop in your garage and start building furniture, uh, tables and chairs and uh, nightstands. Uh, design unique t-shirts and sell them online. Uh, cut off your satellite TV or, or maybe uh, cut out um, going out to eat four and five times a week. There, there are some simple things we can do to help the orphan. But I think the bottom line is this. It's all about leveraging your life for the life of another as a means of exemplifying the grace of God in your heart. J.D. Greer says it this way. Following Jesus means that we leverage our lives for the kingdom of God just as he leveraged his life for us. This means get focus off of yourself and put it squarely on Christ. With an intense focus on our Lord, we will all have our hearts cut open to the realization of heartache, loss, and need of the orphan. And as great as it is to put these possibilities into practice, there's more. Here's the deal, guys. It's not enough for us to merely know what God expects of us. It is equally important, if not more important, to know why He gives us these commands. After all, the right behavior with the wrong motive, did you catch that? The right behavior with the wrong motive has never been pleasing to God. Here's the bottom line. This is my homiletical proposition. Another way to say that is, here's the big idea. 
catch this and take it home. Tattoo it on your hearts. The act of human adoption at its best embodies the biblical themes of compassion, covenant, and grace while pointing us to the heart of Father God. In fact, a holistic view of the gospel must include a high view of adoption if we are to see ourselves in the same light that God sees us, beloved children who belong to Him. When it comes to the orphan, we must, we must look to the cross. We've discussed the crisis, we've discussed the call, and now we must turn our gaze to the cross. In John chapter 14, verse 8, Christ says to his, to his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. This is the heart of Father God, chasing relentlessly after the fatherless. And when it comes to the spiritual orphans, nothing matters more to God. Why does our Lord in John chapter 14 use the phrase, abandon you as orphans when speaking to the men? Because this sense of abandonment, this sense of being orphaned must never be considered part of God's will. And Christ wants to make that clear. He knew that in the coming moments, chaos was going to ensue. He knew that his disciples would be confused, frustrated, worried, stressed, perhaps even feeling a sense of hopelessness. But he promised them, I will not leave you as orphans. Because he desires for humanity to live in community with himself and with others. Christ understands isolation better than any other person. Did you hear that? Christ understands isolation better than any other person. He knows what it is like to feel utterly alone, abandoned, apart from the Father. While on the cross, the Bible records Jesus speaking seven different times, and in one of these moments, we see a bit of light shed onto this abandonment that he felt. Matthew chapter 27, verse 48 says this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There is so much theology to be debated in this verse, and I don't want to get into it, but here's what I will say. According to Matthew Henry, the late and great commentator, that Christ being forsaken of his Father was the most grievous of his sufferings. More than the cat of nine tails, more than bearing the cross, more than having his side split open with a spear, more than having to drink from uh, that sponge, the awful tasting uh, beverage they gave him. uh, Matthew Henry says that this, being separated, having the sense of abandonment, feeling forsaken, was the most grievous of his sufferings. And that which he complained most of, here he laid the most doleful accents. He did not say, why am I scourged and why am I spit upon and why am I nailed to the cross? So many questions Christ could have asked. Nor did he say to his disciples when they turned his back, their backs upon him, why have you forsaken me? But when his father stood at a distance, he cried out thus, for this was it that put wormwood and gall into the affliction of misery. This brought the waters into the soul. Christ felt abandoned. In my opinion, the deepest longing of the orphan's heart is to feel as though he or she belongs. They want to belong. They're tired of being stepped over. They're tired of being cast out. They're tired of being marginalized. They're tired of feeling as though nobody cares. 
they want to belong. What can be determined is that the most agonizing pain felt by our Lord was the feeling of being forsaken, abandoned, and yes, orphaned from His true Father. Christ positioned Himself on the cross in order to make Himself the propitiatory sacrifice for all mankind. The weight of humanity's sin bearing down upon His soul makes it understandable to see how He felt such an intense feeling of isolation from God the Father. Edward Dobson, not James Dobson, but Edward Dobson comments, the sense of being forsaken was not necessarily caused by God the Father looking away from Him, but from His looking at Him in wrath as He would look in judgment at a condemned sinner. Earlier in the sermon, I commented that one of the worst things an orphan feels is not being unnoticed, but noticed and unwanted. Here, hanging on the cross in the midst of suffering, with the blood and breath being drained out of His body, the worst grievance that he felt was being judged in a sense of wrath by his own father. In his humanity, Christ may have surely felt orphaned. His experience is heartbreaking and must lead all of us to see the magnitude of his sacrifice. Christ knows the heart of the orphan. Both the spiritual orphan and the natural orphan. From first-hand experience, Christ knows the heart of the orphan. He loves the fatherless. God himself initiated adoption of the spiritually fatherless, that is, us. Christ initiated adoption with us before the foundation of the world. We would do well to recognize the agape love expressed behind the cross. Galatians chapter 4 verse 7 says this, Therefore you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. It's as though the cross, Jesus Christ, our dear and divine brother, took it upon himself to satisfy the wrath of God that we all deserve. And instead of us being enemies, he made us entrance. But beyond that, we're transformed by faith from citizens to sons. And it would have been enough for us to have citizenry in heaven. It would have been enough for us to have entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Amen? It sure as heck beats the alternative. When we deserve eternal damnation because of our heart of sin and our sinful actions, y'all, that's what we deserve. Don't buy into the hoopla that our culture teaches that says you don't deserve eternal separation from God the Father as a result of sin. Even the smallest, even the most minute sin is worthy of God's judgment and wrath. And Christ, realizing our great need, took it upon himself to satisfy this wrath. Not only making us citizens, but to our heart's desire, making us sons and daughters. And here's a key difference between being a citizen of a kingdom and being a son in the family. We are heirs to the throne. We are heirs to the throne. When you adopt someone into your family, you initial them into your will. Your savings account becomes theirs. And more importantly, they bear your name. 
your identity becomes their identity. Praise be to God, Jesus Christ allows His identity to become our identity so that we can be called God's righteous sons and daughters. We are commanded as God's sons and daughters. People found in the faith of Jesus Christ, we are commanded to defend the defenseless, to plead the case of the fatherless, to spend this vapor of a life we've been given all for His glory. God is glorified when the orphan is brought into the family. Spiritually and physically. Do you hear that? God is glorified when the orphan is brought into the family. Hear my heart for a moment, guys. Don't tune me out. Don't discredit what I say because it's uncomfortable. This is tough for me too. But listen, it is not okay for us, for God's adopted sons and daughters. You listening? It's not okay for us to be more disappointed by the loss of our favorite football team than by the despair of a lonely child on the other side of the planet. It is not okay for us to be more angered by a driver cutting us off in traffic than to realize that right now there is a seven-year-old boy working frantically in a sweatshop to avoid a beating. It is not okay for us as representatives of God to watch our savings account grow while we do nothing about the little girl being forced to sell her body to some perverted old man. Let me repeat when I say we are commanded to defend the defenseless, to plead the case of the fatherless, and to spend this vapor of a life we've been given all for his glory. There's a popular song on the radio right now by Hillsong United that says this, heal my heart and make it clean. Open up my eyes to the things unseen. Show me how to love like you have loved me. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause as I walk from earth into eternity. Y'all, does your heart break for the orphan because God's does? Does your heart break for the orphan because God's does? When we think of the orphan, may we fiercely grip and be gripped by the cross of Christ. There are a few takeaways from our exposition of the scripture this morning. You may have realized that sitting here, you don't belong. You don't belong to our church. You don't belong to this church community. More importantly, you may be feeling as though you don't belong to the family of God. You're fatherless, spiritually speaking. You're destitute. The blood of Christ shed on the cross does not define you. You're not a citizen of heaven, and you're not a son or a daughter in the family of God. You are, however, convinced that God's Spirit is calling you to salvation. You're convinced that Father God is pleading for you to repent of your sin and faithfully turn to Him as Savior and Abba Father. My prayer for you is that you would courageously respond to that call. You may be feeling an immense pressure on your spirit to take action steps to care for the orphan. I feel that same feeling. Now is the time for you to put that pressure into a life of prayer. 
just as we have counselors that are going to be standing around our church to pray for any of you who desire salvation, desire church membership, have questions about faith in Christ, we will also be available to speak with you about the act of human adoption. And finally, you may be realizing that although you're a believer, you've become distracted with idols and taking your attention off of God. Don't be so consumed with your savings account that you lose sight of the orphan or the orphan's true father. Today is your day to repent, confess, and make things right with God. I'm going to ask our worship leader, Clint, to come forward and lead us in a time of response. And as I frequently implore our students upstairs on Wednesday nights, I'm going to implore you, seek your heart. Analyze your state with God. Are you where you need to be? Is there some confession that needs to take place this morning? Is there some repentance, some moving forward, some action steps that the Spirit of God is calling you to make? Y'all, this is church. This is where uh, we, we hope things like that happen. And listen, I'll make myself available. Uh, our lead pastor, Brian, our family pastor, Joby, uh, uh, we're here. We have counselors a plenty to talk with you guys. Do business with God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we can actually call you our Father. As Jesus prayed, Abba, Father, may we too see you as our Most High, as our Abba, Father. God, thank you for pleading the case of the fatherless. Thank you for pursuing the orphan and bringing them into your family. Thank you for calling us and sacrificing for us so that we could be your true sons and true daughters. Father, I pray for the hearts represented here this morning. God, that we would be deeply convicted to fight for the fatherless. God, I pray for the man or woman or child here today that has yet to call you their true spiritual father, that has yet to seek refuge in the sacrifice of Christ. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would pound and pound and pound on their spirit, encouraging them and convicting them to turn to you. Thank you for the cross of Christ. We pray this in our Savior, Jesus Christ's name. Amen.